0: Are these players football first and are we doing this for sake of competitive reasons or are they student athletes and i think that's always the central hypocrisy in the ncaa with their rulings
1: welcome into the second string your best source for college football news analysis uh, scores predictions
0: being miserable. Being mis-
1: that's, that's only if you're a Husker fan, which we both are. So. Yes,
0: unfortunately. But on the other hand, the rest of college football wasn't so miserable.
1: No, no they weren't. Nate Milbach and Alex Fernando coming at you again with the second string. And we're here to tell you our thoughts on the first couple of weeks of college football. And we'll, we'll dive into a couple of different topics today again. Get that quick overview. How's college football feel after two weeks in, Nate? How, how does it feel for you? What's that gut feeling?
0: It is how we thought it would be.
1: How we thought it would be. There's no big surprises for you yet.
0: I mean, there's some small surprises, but overall, big picture-wise, it's about where we thought. Alabama's great. Georgia's great. Oklahoma is great. Ohio State is great. Pac-12 looks like it's already played itself out of the playoff conversation.
1: (laughs) Pac-12 might be out of the playoff conversation. You're missing another team that's pretty good, Nate. The defending national champion, Clemson Tigers. They they look better than great. They look damn good.
0: Well, I mean, everybody saw that highlight of Trevor Lawrence scrambling out of that sack and then just on the run tossing a 30-yard touchdown. I was just like, goodness gracious. (laughs) I feel like Alabama's incredible, but I I just don't see a team better than Clemson this year.
1: I don't either. Um, If anybody's going to make a run at it, I think Oklahoma is going to be the best to make a run at it because of Lincoln Riley's offense. Jalen Hurts, obviously already putting up video game numbers.
0: Jalen Hurts looks amazing. I will say straight up, I was underrating him coming into the season. I told you. I, I told thought, you. I thought he was fine. I thought he would be a good quarterback, not a great quarterback. Fine. Turns out.
1: Serviceable. Yeah, turns These out. These are all quotes from you, Mr. Nate Mulbach. All quotes from you.
0: Turns out Lincoln Riley does a really good job at molding quarterbacks, molding athletic quarterbacks into a system and just putting up absolute video game numbers turns
1: out he's the best offensive mind in college football who knew
0: yeah who knew <laughs> who knew except us for the last two years when we watched <laughs> his teams
1: no i think uh, again oklahoma's got the best shot um to overthrow clemson is a very small shot at this point again we're only two weeks in we have not seen a lot from these teams yeah um but oklahoma they have a new defensive coordinator eight returning starters starting to improve that defense they're only a couple games in here but uh they if anybody's going to give Clemson's defense some havoc, it's going to be a team like Lincoln Riley's offense.
0: Yeah, exactly. And maybe somebody like Alabama, I think. their rece- Alabama's receiving core is probably the top receiving core I've seen in a long time. Rugs, Jerry Judy. They got so many weapons on offense, and it looks like Tua. I know they've played not very great competition so far, but he looks like he seemed to step up in the pocket. He Saban's to be pretty playing. upset
1: about that. Did you see that press conference with him? No, I didn't. What he said? That was phenomenal. Um Somebody was asking, one of the reporters was asking him, like, Saban, why aren't you guys playing top tier, like power five teams for your non-conference? Why aren't you playing big teams? And Saban's like, I don't make the schedules. I want to play power five for 12 games straight. I want a two non-conference power five. I want a 10-game conference schedule. I want legit football all the time. It's better for the fans. It's better to prove who is real and who is not. Oh, um, I like that quote. I yeah, that uh, paraphrasing of course, but it, it was a great piece. Well, I'll have to show it to you later on. It's a great piece. Just and I think it b- opens up some doors in conversation in college football. Why? I mean, yes, these these lower teams, these Group of Fives, these smaller teams, they're getting a lot of money to come to Nebraska and come to Alabama and or Georgia State, come to Tennessee and win. But most time, this and they're supposed to lose. And it's good for their programs. It helps them financially. It helps support their football programs and their athletics overall. But if you're looking for the quality of football that college football fans expect from the game, and if you're looking to crown a true national champion with this college football playoff, why not have All Power Five play All Power Five? If you're going to exclude the group of five to begin with from the playoffs, why not have an All Power Five schedule for All Power Five teams?
0: I think based on just picking out who's the best team in the nation, just who's the best straight up, like, what is Texas better than LSU? Is Utah better than Penn State? You know, these these teams should be playing each other in the non-conference schedule. You know, it's very complicated for other reasons, for monetary reasons, just for the ecosystem of college football. Why these group of five teams need to get the cash payouts they do to come to big schools to basically get paid to show up and lose?
1: Unless you're Georgia State, RIP volunteer fans. Oh, so sad. Two, two rough weeks. You know, as Nebraska fans, as Nebraska fans, we are very upset. Not quite as upset as Tennessee volunteer fans. Yeah,
0: we we can at least take solace in the fact we're not Tennessee. (laughs) we like to see these games that prove, you know, where teams shake out, Oregon and Auburn. We saw two teams that, you know, very similar to each other. Texas and LSU was a very good, very close game that I thought showed us a lot about both teams and proved that both of them have legitimate shots at probably making the college football playoff
1: agreed and i think that saban brings a good point like again he's not the one making the schedules you can't get mad at the coach they can suggest some things but ultimately the schedules are built above their heads and they play who's on their schedule but the teams that go out and schedule a texas lsu game or an oregon auburn game in the middle of their or in the beginning of their season for their non-conferences those are the teams that get rewarded later on when they need it to like you said, I mean, we said Pac-12 is kind of playing themselves out of the playoffs right now. If Oregon runs the table, granted, again, Washington not as strong as we are.
0: Not as strong <laughs> we're, as we are. We we're going to
1: circle back to that because I believe you called Washington to be uh, the Pac-12 best shot. If you go to the end of the season, you see Oregon run the table and they have the one loss to Auburn. And if you have um, – you make up some hypo- hypothetical situation and you say, okay – this team's been playing all this group of five nobodies. Which team are you going to take over the top? Just because they're undefeated against a bunch of group of fives and warm-up games? Or is Oregon truly the better team because they play a tougher schedule?
0: It's a lot to think about. I would think Oregon. I thought Oregon showed a lot, too. I thought they had a lot of first-game jitters in Week 1, and that led to a little bit of a meltdown against a where they had complete control of the game and kind of gave it up. But still, I thought that kind of bode well for their season, which is if they do make that run— People will look at that Auburn loss and will say, you know, if Auburn shakes out to be a pretty good team, which I think they will be a pretty solid team in the SEC, and they will look to them and say, you know what, they went, they basically played an, uh, an Auburn home game, and they lost a close one. And I think they will get rewarded for that. I think that the playoff committee has shown they're willing to forgive losses in the early season. It's historically been... A loss that's very forgivable if you lose in week one or week two or week three. People will look past that. A lot to do with like recency bias. It so can improve your schedule quite th- a bit.
1: Exactly. And that's like, what if I'm going to throw this one out there Oregon and Wisconsin. Wisconsin's played two group of five teams, has not given up a single point all year to either of those teams. But Oregon's playing a little bit tougher schedule by scheduling Auburn and opening with Auburn. Which team are you really leaning towards? If they're they're finishing with the same record, the conference games kind of matter because Pac-12, Big Ten. Big Ten's obviously going to be a little bit tougher schedule.
0: No, exactly. And I would take Oregon in that situation. As the committee and as college football fans, what you process as a good loss, as a good win, you know, has to change over time. And I think, especially in this era of the playoffs, you've got to realize that I think getting these close losses and getting these easy wins uh, are a little bit more similar than you would think.
1: All right, Nate. So after a couple weeks, I want to hear what your three surprising moments are and your three concerning moments are for college football as a whole. For college football as a whole,
0: I would say surprising moments are LSU looks like every bit the playoff contender that a lot of teams theorized, a lot of people theorized them to be, they looked good, they looked sharp, they looked like they had a functioning offense, which is incredible. My second one is that aforementioned everything kind of seems like it is where it is. Like We don't have one team that just like shot up the rankings and you're just like, oh, that, that team is dangerous. That team might make a playoff run. It's looking like more of the same, which is not a bad thing inherently if you're a fan of college football. And number three is that Maryland is Scaryland.
1: Mary Maryland is Scaryland. Oh Yeah, I'd say Maryland is definitely one of my more surprising moments. And I'm going to take a little bit different route. I'm going to tell you I told you so moments, Nate. Because okay. I, I got one really big I told you so moment. And it's not officially official yet, but I think it's coming. Lay it on me. Michigan. I told you so about Michigan. Jury still out? Jerry's still out overall. They, they ended they, up winning. It was a long season. They did end up winning. And Army's a good team. Army's a tough team. They should not go into the big house and win. Michigan is not as strong. As all the experts predicted, they're not going to win the Big Ten. In my opinion, I, I mean, also not, told not you so. Ohio State plays the way I also told you so about Justin Fields and Ohio State. And I know what you, I know. You agree- would hold on, hold on. Do you do agree- not, <laughs>
0: do not. I told you so about a thing that a, per- a player that I specifically said I thought people were extremely
1: underrating.
0: You do not get you, to, I told me so about this.
1: I I feel like you were underrating him as well.
0: I didn't put him in my top five quarterbacks starting the season, but I said he was on the honorable mention list, and I said I thought he was underrated. I just needed to see
1: snaps. All right, let's move it on from that. I'll tell you so about another quarterback, though, Jalen Hurts.
0: Yeah, no, I I admit it. You were right on this one. You thought he would put up video game numbers. He has been. Lincoln Riley, like we've said, is one of the best offensive minds in the game of football right now. And Jalen Hurts is another one, is another quarterback in the probably long line of quarterbacks.
1: All right, we've avoided it long enough,
0: Nate. Can my can my concern my three concerns just be Huskers, Huskers, Huskers?
1: Yeah, because that's where my are at. Those are my concerns. That and then Wisconsin not giving up a single point again. They haven't really played much competition, but that just concerns me more for the Huskers <laughs> at this point. Like.
0: I said this to you right after the game. We were texting each other, and I said that this loss to Colorado concerns me.
1: It's bad. It's a, a bad way to lose.
0: It was a really bad way to lose. And it's not just the fact that we lost. I even pegged this game as, hey, we could totally go into Boulder and lose this game. I thought we were going to win, but I wouldn't have been shocked about it, and we ended up losing. It's the ways we lost
1: and the ways in which we looked bad While losing that. And you know what? Before we dive into Colorado, we got two weeks of Husker football review. Let's go back. We did win. We We won the opening week. It was really, really awkward in the stadium. Everybody was just like, oh, yeah, Husker football's back. We got Adrian Martinez. We got Scott Frost. This is the year on the way to the Big Ten championship. I kept looking around, and I'm just like, you guys, hold up. We're still a young team. We still have a long ways to go. This team is not quite ready for this big of a spotlight and just to run the table. The offense was really struggling. Defense, very impressive, very improved from a year ago. Still has holes, still has concerns. Yep. Tackling. We're getting turnovers. We're playing the ball well when we're there. We're getting better on defense. We are, and I I think the defense is the strength of this team right now, which is scary because we have a Heisman caliber player on a quarterback
0: it, it, it was a struggle in the South Alabama game we couldn't get it going on offense started struggling on defense a little bit in the second half because the offense couldn't get it going but you know South Alabama South Alabama they were a three and nine team last year from the Sun Belt
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know we we handled them we ended up winning by two touchdowns I was never really in any fear that we were going to lose that game
1: not too much. When, when we got the defensive touchdown and J.D. Spielman's kick return back-to-back and we built a little bit larger of a lead, I'm like, okay, this should be at least manageable enough to hold. But the, South Alabama was kept chipping away. They, they hung in the game, so credit to them. Again, I think that opened everybody's eyes. Like, okay, Nebraska's like, we, we're we still a growing team. And that was, that was good. I think people kind of set down the Kool-Aid. Then you move to Colorado. This is a game that no matter what happens the rest of the season, this is the game people wanted to win. This is Colorado, this is an old Big 12, Big 8 rival, Um, one of our most hated rivals, border state, like there's just a lot of bad blood here, they came into Lincoln, won late in the game last year, and we're like, ah, you're just getting us early with Scott Frost, like we had this, and like, we're ready to play, this is our time now, we're gonna come into Boulder, Nebraska fans owned like 70% of that stadium, it was like 70% red and eight, Nebraska dominated that first half. Three lots sack. of we pressure had, had on three Steven Montez. sacks
0: and drives by colorado we got a pick we should have went into the first into the second half up you know more than 17 nothing but we went into the second half up 17 nothing in it but it felt like we were in up in the half 30 to nothing oh yeah that's it how
1: it felt like this game was nearly complete almost completely out of reach for colorado and then the second half
0: well it's it's that third quarter man and it's the offense it this is why I said the way we lost is
1: very concerning because this is a very bad way to lose because this is a coach's loss. <laughs> this is a Scott Frost, your fault, you screwed up loss.
0: It's the elephant in the room that I think a lot of people, you know, are not afraid to talk about. I mean, people have been saying this all week, gets that pit in your stomach a little bit, which you're like, that was, that was a bad coaching performance. And Scott Frost, he's he's not supposed to be a bad he's offensive not, coordinator. He's
1: supposed to be the coach of the year. He's
0: supposed to be the guy. And it, not even just, like, the guy. I'm not being, like, Lafayette, like, he's going to take us to the national title. But at the very least— That's the he, expectation at some point. I mean, obviously, yes. you got a national
1: championship with UCF.
0: Supposed to be at least the guy who runs a creative offense. He's supposed to be able to get second and third downs, you know, conversions when you need them. He's supposed to be able to scheme his way around defenses. Like, that's the guy he's built to be. And on Saturday, he really was not that.
1: No. I'm trying to think of the moment when it really changed, but I keep drawing myself back to the timeout before we even had a play called, or play ran on the second half.
0: I was looking at that, and it happened. They were like, prevent a delay game, and I was like, it's
1: the first play of the second half. Just just take the delay of game. Start first and 15. We I mean, it didn't necessarily quite come to a point where we needed it later. That just showed how unprepared this team was for the second half. Exactly. It's the first it's the first play out of halftime. You, you... Which is weird because this is like you're up 17 nothing. You get the ball second half because Colorado wanted it first. And you're like, "Oh, this is wh- this is where we just put the nail in the coffin, we go up 24. We drive straight down the field, go up 24 nothing early third quarter, and just pound them. And they're done. Especially because you know, you look across that sideline, you have a fifth-year, four-year starter at quarterback. You have a couple of receivers that have NFL caliber written all over them. They're going to get theirs at some point. Yeah. They're going to get their yards. They're going to get their plays. They're going to get their touchdowns at some point in the game, which means you cannot let off the gas. I think the third quarter— was incredibly conservative on offense, very well, poor play calling, very poor play design, and they just didn't make any of the adjustments that Colorado did. Colorado came back and adjusted the hell out of the second half. They really they did, were especially much on, better defense. Prepared on they, defense. They
0: ran a lot of delayed blitzes, which our offensive line really struggled to pick up. They ran a lot more stunts. They blitzed a lot more in like different and weirder ways, which confused our offensive line, which looked sterling in the first half. Martinez had all day to throw in the first half and then the second half he seemed like he had guys coming from him from everywhere and nebraska i don't want i
1: don't want to take anything away from the buffaloes as much as this pains me to say they played a great second half of football and as, as a college football fan that fourth quarter over 400 combined yards 38 combined points that was insane to watch that was so cool as a husker fan that was the most miserable thing i've ever seen
0: because I think another big reason we struggled is Martinez hasn't looked great these first two games. I don't know if it's a sophomore. First swim. half
1: of Colorado, he was 9 for 9, 180 yards and a touchdown. So there was some sort of switch. And it can't be all of Colorado's defense. There had to be some sort of switch on offense. And I, I do agree. He has not looked his Adrian Martinez self these first couple of games. But that first half of Colorado, he was on fire. He was. And they stopped using him in the run game. They stopped letting him get out and be mobile and throw from outside the pocket. And granted, the first half he had whatever pocket he wanted. He stood back there and read a book. But that second half, he was getting pressure. They should have moved the pocket more for him. They should have. And also, the entire game, nothing worked up the middle. Nebraska has no interior offensive line. That's the weakest part of our offense, is the interior offensive line. That's the weakest spot of their offense, the interior offensive line. So moving Adrian out of the pocket is key if you're going to be moving the ball, getting the ball onto the edges. That's where Nebraska got the most yardage.
0: It's very disheartening because there's a lot of places where we struggled, but coaching,
1: play calling—those are places you shouldn't expect to you don't expect to struggle out right now with Nebraska. You, no. just, you have a superstar quarterback, you have a superstar coach. Why are those the issues right now?
0: Exactly, our offensive line is giving us trouble this year. But you know what? I was expecting our offensive line to not be super great this year. Our secondary is... Spotty. Some of our defensive line starters, are they're fine players. They're not
1: superstars. We knew that coming we, in. Yeah, we talked about that coming in. We need guys to step up and make plays. The defense has been doing a great job. They have. I think the defense just kind of got gassed towards the end of the game because those three three-and-outs and the four just overall nothing drives from the offense in the third quarter, that left the defense on the field so much. Exactly. And the defense played
0: really good in that third quarter too. I mean, Colorado only scored that one touchdown at like the The very end of the the third third quarter. quarter. Yeah,
1: so for practically three quarters, Nebraska held Colorado, a team that dropped 52 in their opener, scoreless and then a seven uh, touchdown at the end of the third quarter and then the wheels came off because again
0: they were on the field in that third quarter probably 10 minutes of the and that caught up to them. they just couldn't quite put it all together for the fourth and then the overtime happened and
1: oh, overtime overtime bothered me so much for a couple of reasons. One, the defense stepped back up that was great that's the that's the one part that doesn't bother me about overtime. So it was set up for Nebraska to have it. Okay, you about handed this game right back to Colorado, but you have another chance to win this and end it and go home and walk out.
0: I texted you. I said, defense, we forced Colorado to a field goal. Incredible. Did not think that was going to happen, but I was like, Scott Frost, offensive play caller,
1: and over time. This is their time to shine. It's 25 yards. This is your time to shine. This is when you make a name and be like, all right, Nebraska is coming back. We are on the right path. What Maurice Washington run, Maurice Washington run, No, 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 sack. Not, not, Maurice, not Maurice Washington run. Hand off to the side, run down the line of scrimmage, get hit. Hand off to the other side, run down the line of scrimmage, get hit. Low snap and a sack. Frost was completely unprepared for overtime play calling. He had he had no plays ready, and that was, that was the first thing he said on uh, his press conference. I didn't have a play for 4th and 14, which is why he ran our backup backup kicker on to ch- try a 48-yarder for his second-ever college field goal for his second ever college field. His first one was earlier in the game. And he hasn't played high school football in like three years. I I was just stunned when they ran Armstrong after kick.
0: I was like, it's a fourth and 14, but we have to run a play here. Like Armstrong's not making
1: this field goal. No. You just conceded Colorado's victory there. I just,
0: it was, I just don't it was get it.
1: very, very poor play calling, and it bothered me so much. It still bothers me because I've— Nebraska hired Scott Frost to be this guy to have the play calls, to have the moments ready for this kind of game and bring Nebraska out of this situation. There's a lot of season left. A lot of season left. This is two weeks in. This is a young team. We're being really hypercritical. But this is a game Nebraska should have won. They should have. They are still winless on the road under Scott Frost. We haven't won a road game since Riley.
0: (laughs) We'll see, we play in Champaign in a couple weeks, you know, we'll see if they've actually learned some things by then. You know, early in the season, extremely early in the season, I don't quite share his confidence, but in the press conference on Monday, Mo Berry said, They'll forget about this Colorado loss, when we played the Big Ten championship game. I don't quite have the same confidence as he does. Ooh, I think bold. his I think his general bold, sir. I think his general statement in that if we play well, if we finish, you know, eight and four, seven and five. I think people, you know, if we play tight on the games we lose,
1: I think people will forget about this one and say, hey. I agree. And I will say, before the season started, if Nebraska were to get to the Big Ten Championship, in my mind, they had to lose to Colorado. They had to get humbled by Colorado. I'm not saying Nebraska's going to the Big Ten. got to see a lot more out of this team before that happens. Exactly. And Wisconsin needs to like actually get scored on for once. Yeah. If Nebraska was going to make the Big Ten, I think... A humbling loss in Colorado, which I did not want as a Husker fan and as a college football fan. Like, Nebraska's got to win that game. Yes. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Northern Illinois this weekend, quick hit prediction on it, Nate. Nate.
0: They're they're not
1: going to go down easily. No, they're it, they're, a, they're, so, they're a solid team. Ne- they are never a group of 5 team you want to play. And they beat us 2 years ago here in Lincoln.
0: Yeah, I, I think both teams are a little different. They played 3 quarters against a, a really solid Utah team. They, they have a
1: new coach this year too, but it yeah, looks they like didn't, they're I mean, taking up right where they left U- off.
0: Utah Utah ended up kind of manhandling them at the end, but they were in the game. They weren't out of it by any stretch. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll be tough and you know, we can't we definitely cannot overlook Northern Illinois, but I think at worst, it'll be a game similar to South Alabama. We'll win by a couple touchdowns. Yeah,
1: I'm thinking a 10 to 14 point game. Maybe maybe push it to 17. Uh, well, if, if no, our it, kicking it, game it, <laughs> works. Yeah, we'll see. Before we go into our last topic, let me just give you a couple other quick hit uh, games that I think are kind of interesting this week. want to know your thoughts. Pittsburgh at Penn State. A little old rivalry starting back up there.
0: I don't think Pittsburgh's very good this year. I think Penn State's going to kind of manhandle another Power 5 team, and they'll show why they probably deserve to be in that top 10
1: conversation. The Cyhawk Trophy. Iowa at Iowa State. Game day is going to be their first time ever in Ames. Ooh, that's, I didn't know game day was going to be there, but yep. I think it's
0: interesting. I can't have much to say about either of those teams. Ohio State looked very Nebraska-ish in its first game. Iowa looked pretty good against Rutgers, but I don't think they... That lower part of the top twenty-five, if either one of them deserves to really make a name for themselves early in the season.
1: Alright, one more for you. The Horn Frogs of TCU traveling up to West Lafayette take on the Boilermakers. Hmm. TCU at Purdue. I
0: was really this yeah, this is a really interesting game. Purdue, they had that really rough loss to Nevada in the opening game. They looked kind of shaky in the in like the first First quarter or so against Vanderbilt, but then they ended up putting their foot on the gas, stepping on their neck, and ended up
1: cruising out of there with a blowout win. Most Big Ten or most touchdowns thrown by a Big Ten quarterback in his first two games Curtis Painter uh, with 11, I believe. Dwayne Haskins with 10. And then Elijah Sindelar, 9.
0: You know, they're. I mean, those stats are always really inflated when you just completely blow a team out of the water <laughs> like that. I mean, it's like when Lamar Jackson was throwing eight touchdown also, passes against Charlotte and stuff. It's also when you have Rondell Moore and can do yeah. whatever the heck you want. No, it, it, I think it'll tell us a lot about Purdue and if they're, that first game was just a really rough Purdue-style loss that they normally have or yeah. if
1: they're legit. Now, uh, we mentioned this in our last episode. I wanted to hit on this topic as we end our um, end our podcast here today. What are your initial gut feelings towards the NCAA transfer rules? Because there's been a lot of talk about this early in the season. It's kind of died down now that football's on and we just have games to watch. But over the course of the summer and a couple weeks before the season, there were so many players that had the ability to transfer and apply to play right away, waive the one-year set-out rule, and some of them got it. Some of them did not get accepted for that. The ones that didn't get accepted... They're not very big-name players. They're not people you're really going to pay attention to when you're watching the game. And also, their reasoning was really dumb for not getting accepted. You know who got accepted. You have Tate Martell down in Miami. You have Justin Fields immediately getting to play in Ohio State. What's your gut feeling on this?
0: I mean, like most things in NCAA, it's a decision-making process meant to benefit the Blue Bloods. Meant to benefit big time schools that are going to be top ten, that are going to play under the lights, that are going to get endorsement deals, that are going to star in commercials for the NCAA. It's all about money, and it, it's frustrating because you look at somebody like Luke Ford and didn't get inside that weird magic hundred mile radius, which is another that's
1: Bro- that's Brock Hoffman. Oh, never for- mind. Ford was back in oh, um back in his uh. I think he was... Um, but, yeah,
0: he he wanted to visit his grandparents.
1: He wanted to be closer to his grandparents, and CAA was like... No, so Luke Ford, his situation, they deemed that his grandparents were not part of his nuclear family. That's ridiculous. His nuclear family, so he can't go... Like, it's not good enough that he wants to visit his grandparents, and his grandpa ended up having a heart attack later on after he moved home because he knew there were health issues, but they're not part of his nuclear family, so he can't play football right now.
0: And Brock Hoffman didn't move, you know, 100 miles. Brock
1: Hoffman was five miles outside of the 100-mile radius. And the NCAA determined that his uh, claim should be denied in part because his mother's health was improving. So ridiculous. And the thing I always go to in these NCAA
0: transfer cases, why do you sit out if not for the fact that it's due to competitive reasons for the game of NCAA football? But that's not what NCAA football is Really about is it? There's aren't they student
1: athletes? Don't they go to school too? They're, they're student. They're supposed to go to class, but they're supposed to become better people of society, better men of society by going to class and educating themselves.
0: See, this is why I think it's ridiculous to force them to sit out a year if they want to change schools. I mean, maybe it's because of football. I mean, I'd say mostly it's because of football. But if we, but if say when I was in college, I wanted to say transfer to, I don't know, Oklahoma to say. I wouldn't have to be like, Oklahoma wouldn't have to be like, hold up, go work a year at McDonald's, and then we'll let you take some classes. (laughs) I mean, it'd just be ridiculous. Or you can come here classes, but you can't play in our mural sports for a year because... Of reasons, I mean, that, because that,
1: you played intramural with me at Nebraska, yeah. so I mean, you've that, you've expired your intramural eligibility, Nate.
0: I mean, it's it's frankly ridiculous. Like, are are these players football first, and are we doing this for sake of competitive reasons, or are they student athletes? And I think that's always the central hypocrisy in the NCAA with their rulings. Which is, are we doing it football? Or are we doing it with Justin Fields and Tate Martell? Because those are the players that they're the, the stars. They're, 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 they're going to the, be the casuals care about them.
1: I'm going to throw a wrench in this though. If you don't have the NCAA regulating who plays and who doesn't play, how does that not open it up for a complete college football free agency? I think you can't avoid that. But I don't think that's a bad thing though. College football free agency and Nate thinks it's a good thing. I want to I want to hear this open up. Listen, college football it's fundamentally
0: unfair. It really is. It just is. You want to you want to know the hard truth? Programs like Nebraska probably not going to win a national title ever cuz of recruiting rankings because of coaches, because of locations. They did before with less with lower star recruits. Changes were different. Rules were different. We had partial qualifiers. Very true, very true. It was easier to get other players that wouldn't qualify into other schools into Nebraska. It's just fundamentally unfair with 128 teams. You're just never going to have a perfect balance of talent. This isn't the NFL. You don't have salary caps. These are students trying to get their education, and if they want to go to Alabama, if they want to go to Auburn, yeah, maybe maybe Alabama will get more good players than they know what to do with. Guess what? They already have more good players than they know what to do with. They've been
1: in the top 10 for 10 straight years. It's fine. I'm not sure quite how I feel about this whole football free agency thing because if you're recruiting this guy, I mean, you get Wandell Robinson in Nebraska. And after a year of playing for the Huskers, he's like, you know what? I think I'm good enough. I can go play over at Ohio State. He goes cross-conference at Ohio State. We see him in the Big Ten Championship. Nebraska sees him in the Big Ten Championship, hopefully. And you're just like, wow, that kid played for us. That kid played for Nebraska. And now he's over there because he thought he was good enough to move over there. Is that what the free agency is going to lead to? Plan. I don't think it's a situation with
0: with no cons. The fact that the NCAA shouldn't be picking and choosing what it does. I think it should stick to a rule set.
1: I, I do agree there needs to be just a base rule set of what qualifies these guys to play, what doesn't qualify them to play immediately when they get to their school. Something like family medical issues or wanting to spend time closer to home, those are not things you should deny a student-athlete to play their game for. Heck, I'm I'm Heck, okay. The, part of the reason going closer to home is so their family can come see them in the game.
0: It's, it's just ridiculous, and the NCAA is so exclusionary. The NCAA is so picky. It's just so frustrating. You know, I'd be in favor of a rule like Jim Harbaugh. He proposed just every player gets one free transfer. You don't have to sit out a year. That's, that's it. That's
1: actually not a bad idea. Yeah,
0: yeah. every player, single player, you can transfer one time and don't have to sit out. And then if you want to do it again, you got to sit out a year.
1: That That's not a bad idea. I and like which,
0: that. Which I think is a good first step. I think it should just be you should be able to transfer as many times as you want. I, know, a, I, a, I am a, particularly
1: radical one, on this one issue. Thing, one thing you got to look at, at some point, these kids are getting a college education. Yeah, and we... a good amount of them are not going to play in the NFL, so they do need to worry about this college education. Exactly. And they need to finish their classes. Those classes need to make sure they transfer as well.
0: Yeah, I, 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 th- I think making sure that you need that... to finish
1: your degree, you need to make sure your degree is going to be done based off of these transfers as well.
0: Exactly. I, I think you know academically should be the main. It's it's a complicated system, and I don't think there's any real answer. But the fact of the matter is, the system right now, it's crap not respectful to, to the players indeed
1: i know i agree um well we have plenty more to talk about with the ncaa uh california legislator possibly allowing players players to get paid for their likeness and uh use of their image so gavin newsom governor of california still has like 20 days to sign the law yeah that one's coming up later this season and we got a lot of college football season left to worry about nate Another great episode of the Second String. Another good podcast talking with you about some Husker and college football. How you feeling about week 3 Nebraska football? I'm nervous, but I'm a fan as ever, so cautiously excited. It's a step in the right direction in my opinion. I got to bring the I got to bring the British to their first ever husker football game a british relatives coming into town this is gonna be a fun time Uh, i hope so i'm sure they'll love american football and all its violence oh yes indeed for mr nate mobach i'm alex fernando you were listening to the second string your favorite college football podcast for news analysis updates and nate sent us home why is knowledge why do you choose that
0: see you guys